Would you like to share something you've heard on Issues Etc. via email, Facebook, Twitter, or text message? Well, we've made it easy for you. Just go to the on-demand page of our website, issuesetc.org, and click Share This. You'll find almost 50 ways to share Issues Etc. audio. We love our on-demand listeners. Old Theology, New Technology, issuesetc.org. Go to the on-demand page and click Share This. When we have evidence, we talk about the evidence. When you have good arguments, you talk about the arguments. Faith really is, frankly, the permission religious people give one another to believe things when reasons fail. This is one of the the fallacies of religious argumentation, the idea that the atheist has to prove the absence of God. Nobody's proved the absence of Zeus, and yet everyone's behaving as though the God of Abraham has a completely different status than than these thousands of other dead gods, and and he frankly doesn't. Well, it's a famous atheist, Sam Harris, talking about how he views Christian faith. He says, well, in essence, it's little more than wishful thinking. If you had facts, if you had evidence, then Christians could talk about that, but they don't have those, so they talk about faith. A blind faith, wishful thinking. And the sad thing is a lot of Christians regard faith this way, too, as the absence of arguments, the absence of evidence. We're going to talk about whether or not Christianity is a blind leap of faith here in the first half hour of Issues Etc. Greg Kokel joins us, president of Stand to Reason. A little bit later in this hour, we'll talk about making the sign of the cross. Pastor David Peterson, a Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, will be our guest. You can join us for this hour and the next, 1-877-623-6943, 877-623-MYIE. You can email us with questions or comments right here in the studio. We are coming to you live this Tuesday. It is the 1st of December. Talk back at issuesetc.org. Talk back at issuesetc.org. Or Twitter us with questions or comments at issuesetc. In the second hour of the program, we'll have some audio open lines. I want to know what you think. There's there, This isn't the first time a church has done this, but a Presbyterian church has decided to allow pets in church on Sunday morning to help attract people who otherwise wouldn't want to leave their pets at home or want to bring their pets with them, and some people really find it very appealing. Can you think of anything wrong in principle with bringing your pets to church, and is this the way—is this what churches ought to do? If people want to take a walk with their pet on Sunday morning, why not saunter over to the church? We'll play an NPR piece on pets in church, and I want to hear from you, one 623 6943, or talk back at issuesetc.org. Last half hour of the program will spend with Alan Chamber of Exodus International talking about leaving homosexuality. Greg Kokel is a regular guest. He's president of Stand to Reason, based in Signal Hill, California. He's author of the book Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, and he's also written an article in the latest Solid Ground newsletter titled, If You Just Take Christianity on Faith, You May Be in Trouble. Greg, welcome back. Oh, it's good to talk to you, Todd. And I had to chuckle about the pets in church. Maybe they're taking seriously the dictum to uh, preach the gospel to all creatures. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. I just hope they're preaching the gospel to the human beings that are there, too. Yeah, that'd be a start, huh? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Um, 
We heard from Sam Harrison. He says, right. if you don't have arguments and you don't have facts, then you talk faith. And the sad thing is a lot of Christians regard the Christian faith in this way, the absence of arguments, the absence of facts. Yeah, I, this is what's frustrating about hearing that from Sam Harris, because um, he has good reason to think that this is the way Christendom approaches it, because so many Christians talk this way. And so what we have is a profound misunderstanding, uh, not only outside of the Church. By the way, Sam, Sam Harris should know better, because he's better read and he ought to know that this is not the classical tradition of Christianity, and there are many writers who are apologists defending the Christian point of view, the worldview, that certainly don't take this approach, and are willing to offer all kinds of reasons why Yahweh has a different status than a thousand of dead gods, as he pointed uh, pointed out. But uh, even so, there certainly is legion, the number of those who consider themselves Christians, who have this same distorted view, that faith and knowledge are at two opposing extremes. And if you have evidence that is good reason to believe something, and the reason is strong enough, um, then you can know it. That's justified true belief is the classical philosophical definition of knowledge. But see, if you know it then, where's room for faith is their response, Christian's response. And they view then faith and knowledge at extremes. Uh, the more knowledge you have, the less faith you can have, and the more faith you have, it's only because your knowledge is diminished. So there's an inverse relationship. People may be starting to get uh, a picture then on the problem here, and the problem is, if God wants faith, and we know that's true because uh, not only throughout the Scripture, but we see specifically in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Um, it, well, if God wants faith, and faith is an in an inverse relationship to knowledge, the knowledge turns out to be the enemy of faith. The more we know, the less faith we can have. God wants us to have faith, so it's better for us to abandon reason, uh, evidences, careful thinking, so we don't even engage the knowledge equation at all when it comes to spiritual things, but instead we just take this blind leap of faith, and this is the noble kind of thing that God has in mind, and this is where a lot of Christians are at, obviously, and this leaves us wide open uh, to attacks by people like uh, Sam Harris, who just want to dismiss us uh, as a bunch of fideists, faithists, people who just simply believe without any good reason. Um, and so you can see how this approach undermines uh, a proper defense of the gospel. But worse, it's just not biblical, Todd. Well, let's talk about what the biblical faith really is. I mean, my simple way of thinking about it when people ask or present this kind of idea that faith is without facts, I say no. On the contrary, the biblical faith that is presented is a factual faith. It is it is uh, it is constructed of facts and of events in history. Am I oversimplifying? No, I don't think so, but I think you're running into a problem that I avoid by just not using the word faith. I'm pretty convinced, Todd, that the word faith, that is the English word faith, in these kinds of discussions has been so seriously corrupted um, that it doesn't, it's not useful anymore. Just using the word uh, creates the problem. People um, automatically add additional words to it, words like leap of, 
or blind. So whenever you say faith, they are thinking of this leap of faith or this blind faith that is a mischaracterization biblically. So what I've done is I've tried to, uh, I found a word substitute that actually captures the meaning of the original Greek word that is translated into the English word faith. Um, It doesn't mean leap of. It means active trust. The Greek word is some form of the uh, the word pistis or pisteo. It means active trust. Now, if we realize what God is asking for is not just a mental assent to something that there is no good evidence for, uh, that would be a leap of faith acknowledging maybe the truth of Jesus, uh, but rather is looking for active trust. He wants us to trust in Jesus. Well, now this takes on a little different uh, um, picture, as it were, and that is that trust is something that's earned. If I if I asked you to trust me, Todd, I suspect you'd likely do so because we know each other, because we have a history that's given you reason uh, to trust me in something that I'd say. But if we were strangers... Uh, and I asked you to trust me on something important, your question naturally would be why. This points out that trust is something that's earned, and this is true in the Scriptures, which is why Jesus and the apostles were willing to, in a sense, earn the trust of people. That is, give good reasons why people ought to put their trust in Him. Jesus said, look, if you don't believe my words, then believe my actions. Believe my works. Look at what I'm doing. These are things that bear testimony to what I do. These are the evidences that um, that that uh, one ought to think about to show that I can actually fulfill the trust that I'm asking for. And this is a pattern, actually, that I discovered, and it's something I trot, trot out here, this pattern, in, in this, this article on faith and wishing that you just referred to in our Solid Ground uh, this month. I, I, I chart it right from the Old Testament right through the New Testament, choosing some juicy examples to show this pattern is always there. And in fact, the, the Scriptures are filled with this. These are just uh, archetypical kind of examples of the, uh, of, of the way that faith and knowledge actually work together from God's perspective. Why don't you give us one of those examples with about uh, two minutes before we got to take a break? Sure. When when uh, my wife and I saw the the the, the animated uh, feature, The Prince of Egypt, a number of years ago, this is about the Exodus, it's a cartoon, you know, a Steven Spielberg thing, we were motivated to go back to the text and, and to actually read it, just, well, let's go back to the original. And I noticed something I never noticed before there. When when uh, Moses was asked to go to appeal to Pharaoh to let the the, the Jews free, um, he asked. He was reluctant, and the reason is, is he didn't think the people would believe him. And so God then told him to go and work a bunch of miracles, and he did. There are all kinds of miracles that they did, and uh, that, that he performed, and boils and pestilence and hail and gnats and flies and, and taking the sun out and uh, you know all of that kind of stuff, and it was all for one purpose. Uh, he didn't tell Moses to do, go tell Pharaoh, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. You're just going to have to take it on faith, you know, that kind of thing. No, he says, here is the reason why you should believe. And the reason God gives in that passage is that so that they shall know there's a, there's a, there's a God in Israel. And this phrase, so that they shall know there's a God in Israel, is repeated not once, not twice, not five times, but ten times in that account, showing that what God cares about is knowledge based on the evidence before anybody takes a, a step of faith of any kind. Greg Kokel is our guest, president of Standard Reason, based in Signal Hill, California. 
He's author of the book Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. You can purchase Tactics under the on-demand page of our website, issuesetc.org, issuesetc.org. It's Tuesday afternoon, December the 1st. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our call-in number, 1-877-623-6943, 877-623-MIIE. Our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org, or you can Twitter us at issuesetc. It stands to reason, really, if you think about it, uh, think about when the apostles went out and uh, urged those who heard them to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus. What did they do? They presented them with the events of Jesus' life, what he did, who he was, what claims he made, and how he accomplished those things. A factual faith. I'm Todd Wilkin. We'll be right back. The new Issues Etc. YouTube video features Benny Hinn. Adam was a super bee that he had dominion over the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, which means he used to fly. Adam not only flew, he flew to space. With one thought, he'd be on the moon. Fly me to the moon. Let me play. Joel Osteen. You may have to weed through a hundred negative thoughts before you come to the right sound. The voice of victory that's saying, you are blessed, you are prosperous, you can do all things, your best days are still ahead. Latch on to those thoughts. And Deepak Chopra. How come you're all so convinced that God is a he and Satan is a he? How come we have these ideas that are so mythical, that are so primitive? Check out the new Issues Etc. YouTube video at issuesetc.org and click support. Others talk. We have something to say. You're listening to Issues Etc. Would you like to share something you've heard on Issues Etc. via email, Facebook, Twitter, or text message? Well, we've made it easy for you. Just go to the on-demand page of our website, issuesetc.org, and click share this. You'll find almost 50 ways to share Issues Etc. audio. We love our on-demand listeners. Old Theology, New Technology, issuesetc.org. Go to the on-demand page and click Share This. Thanks for sending us your email. Having produced Issues Etc. for more than 15 years, I can tell you that we've never received email response like this. Unfortunately, we simply can't reply to all of your email. So here's a way that I can almost guarantee a response to your question or comment. Call the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8384. It's available for your questions or comments 24-7, Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking facts and faith. Greg Kokel is our guest. You can join us as well. one 623 6943 Talk back at issuesetc.org or Twitter us at issuesetc. Before the break, you gave us an example from the Old Testament. How about some New New Testament examples of the marriage that is between facts, events, and the Christian faith? Yeah, there, there are two that stand out for me, but let me just revisit the... Um the equation here so people don't miss it. What I'm trying to demonstrate is that in the Scriptures, 
insofar as the Bible itself speaks to the question of what we call faith, um, it is talking about an active trust that is a response to knowledge which is built on evidence. So the sequence is evidence comes first, the, the evidence leads to a confident knowledge that something is true, and then people actively trust in that which they have good reason to believe. And we saw that pattern in Exodus, uh, throughout the Exodus account, and in fact, in chapter 14, it says there, and when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. So there's the sequence there. Let me ask, the you, powerful... to, let me ask you to pause just very briefly there, so that we're not misunderstood. And I think okay. we, would, we would agree that whether it is the... the uh, the evidence, the knowledge, and especially that active trust, we're talking here about something that God works in the hearts of hard, hardened sinners like you and me. It is his work to cause us to believe these things from beginning to end. I agree with that, it's, but it's not the point I'm making is it's not happening in a vacuum, right. so that it can't be, no one can be accused, biblically speaking, of making a leap of faith that God has caused in their heart, but rather a step of trust that God has brought about as God lays the foundation, uh, giving evidence and demonstrating that the evidence is reliable enough to give us knowledge, and therefore we can put our trust in it. And God works in kind of that, through that means to accomplish the end of, of the gift of faith. Right. I'm with you there. Now to your New, New Testament example. New Testament, we see the exact same pattern. If you look at Jesus in Mark chapter 2, um, we see uh, him preaching there in a house, uh, which house was surrounded by people. It was uh, at the height of his popularity there. Uh, four guys wanted to drop their uh, paraplegic fi- uh, paralytic friend uh, in, in to have Jesus heal them. They opened up the roof and dropped him down, and Jesus saw him and then says something strange. He says, your sins are forgiven. Well, the people are moaning because God, only God can forgive sins. He realizes this, then he asks this question. What is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or arise, take up your pallet, and walk? In other words, heal the man. Well, it's obviously easier to say your sins are forgiven, because nobody can know whether that's really happening. But if you say arise, take up your pallet, and walk, and nothing happens, well, then you look pretty stupid. So it's almost as if Jesus admits that he's taken the easy way out. But then he says, in order, here's his words, in order that you may know not take a leap of faith, but know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, arise, take up your pellet, and get get up. And, and of course, the, the, a great miracle happened, um, verifying the claim that one couldn't see, that is, the forgiveness of sins, by working a miracle in a realm that could be seen. This was the concrete evidence that gave them the knowledge, in Jesus' own words, that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. So there you see this, the second case. Uh, I, I have a number of biblical examples, but this is just a New Testament one that's very clear, follows the same pattern. The third example, though, is one of the most powerful, and it comes from the book of Acts. And here you have in Acts chapter 2, you have Pentecost Sunday, and you have Peter and the apostles uh, pouring out of the upper room. The Holy Spirit has been poured upon them, and indeed it baptized them. You have flames of time fire on their head. You've got a a mighty rushing wind sound. You have speaking in tongues. You have all these manifestations that the people around them can actually see. In fact, they figure, well, these guys must be drunk. Um, Peter says, look, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. What you see is the whole, what you see and hear is the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he cites fulfilled prophecy. 
uh, from the book of Joel, that this is what God said was going to happen. And it's happened, he said, because Jesus, whom you killed, we saw resurrected from the dead. And that was also prophesied by David in the Psalms. In other words, he is giving evidence upon evidence upon evidence from fulfilled prophecy from the resurrection and also from supernatural manifestations that those people could behold right then. So he is making his case based on evidence and that, that they would then respond in trust. And here's how he ends his sermon. And this is something I'd never seen before. It just never jumped out. I'd read it a bunch before, but it never occurred to me quite this way. He said there in verse 32 or something like that, Now let all the house of Israel know, there's our word again, know based on the evidence that he just gave, but he didn't stop there. He adds this phrase, for certain. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. And so what what Peter is emphasizing there is that we're not just talking about any old knowledge here. Uh, We're not like we're just getting in the gate, as it were, on the knowledge trip here, but actually we have so much evidence that it rises to the highest level of confidence, certainty in our knowledge. And uh, this, again, sealing that equation and manifesting that equation of evidence that leads to knowledge in which people then can put their confident faith, not a leap of faith, but a step of trust based on the facts. Ken in Orlando, Florida, emails us. He says, In a discussion with an atheist co-worker about faith, I found him dismissing any eyewitness evidence in favor of scientific evidence because he didn't believe eyewitnesses were trustworthy. However, wouldn't he have to rely on eyewitness testimony as well unless he is able to perform all the scientific experiments himself or be present at all such experiments? There you go. You heard me chuckle there in the background, and that was exactly the thought that I had when I read that. Even when we take scientific evidence, what we are, most of us are doing, um, 99.9% of the time, even scientists, are taking the evidence of others that were witnesses to the event that they recorded down. They are trusting those witnesses to having done those things accurately and soundly, and are then working that into their own equations about what the facts of the matter are. And this is precisely what we face here. There is no uh, significant difference at this particular point between an eyewitness to history or an eyewitness to some kind of scientific process. Uh, The eyewitness has to be reliable in both cases. Both are completely legitimate. And you simply cannot get away from knowledge by authority, whatever authority that happens to be, whether it's an eyewitness authority to an event in the past or whether it's an eyewitness authority to some recent event that has to do with science. Almost everything that we think we know, uh, we know because of our trusting some other authority that we believe is trustworthy. That's the real question here, not whether we're trusting an authority, uh, but whether the authority is worth trusting, which is precisely why we're going through these steps we're doing right now. You know, I'm just constantly struck when we have these conversations, especially given what Ken in Orlando wrote to us there. Uh, How useful the one question that you put at the top of the list for the Colombo technique, you Mm -hmm. talked about the Colombo tactic, where Mm -hmm. did you get that idea kind of a Mm -hmm. question? Uh, How useful that really is. I mean, you're talking to an atheist at the water cooler and they say, I trust scientific evidence. I trust what science tells me. Where did you get the ideas that science told you? And suddenly you're off where Ken leads us. Right, right. 
Yeah, those questions are uh, are great uh, for for moving you along, even if you don't know a whole lot. But if you do know a few things, like we're talking about now, you can use those questions to help expose the weakness of another person's view. And uh, in fact, I I talk specifically about the claim that science is the thing that gives you um, knowledge, and nothing else can be trusted. Because there's all kinds of problems with that challenge. Uh, for one, it commits suicide. Uh, it destroys itself because it can't meet its own uh, requirements. There, uh, there's got to be a whole lot of truths that are in place before science can even begin working. So uh, anyway, that's that's a problem. That was a great observation that your your um, emailer offered. Finally, then, is Christianity, as so many think, simply the blind leap of faith? Well, no. I mean, the simple answer is no. Uh, not in itself. There are people who make a blind leap with Christianity, and in a sense, they, I mean, you can look at it from one perspective and say they get lucky, you know. Look, if you're walking around the room with your eyes closed, you can make a blind leap, as it were, and just sit down and hope that there's a seat underneath you. I mean, sometimes you might get real lucky, but you have no reason to know that that's the case. Um, however, if you're looking around and then you, bear, you see the evidence of the chair and you walk over to it and sit down, you are still acting in trust that the chair will be there and hold you up. But you can see the second is so much different than the first. It's hard, hard, hardly uh, the same thing. And this is what we're talking about here. Uh, some Christians make a blind leap and land on Jesus, and good for them. Uh, a lot of other people make a lot blind leap and they rant, land in the wrong place. It would be better for us to follow the biblical pattern, and that is to open our eyes and look around and follow the evidence where it leads, and then put our trust in the Savior that we have good reason to believe can hold us. Greg Kokel is president of Stand to Reason, based in Signal Hill, California, author of the book Tactics, A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. He's also written an article for the latest Solid Ground newsletter titled, If You Just Take Christianity on Faith, You May Be in Trouble. We'll post a link to Stand to Reason at our website tonight, issuesetc.org. Click on demand. Greg, thanks for being our guest. Todd, happy Christmas to you all. And to you as well. When we come back, Pastor David Peterson's going to join us. We're going to talk about a practice ancient in the church, forgotten by so many, still retained by some. I look out in the congregation I serve Sunday after Sunday, and at certain points in the service, I make the sign of the cross. I actually trace a cross in the air or on myself, depending on which direction I'm facing. And I notice more and more Christians doing the same, following the example. You know, this is something that Luther in the Reformation recommended a Christian do every morning when they wake up, every evening when they go to bed. He said it was a sign uh, and seal of your baptism. That is a reminder of your baptism, of what baptism brought to you, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and a reminder of your Savior. We'll talk about making the sign of the cross with Pastor David Peterson of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. On the other side of the break, I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. The leadership of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is proposing sweeping changes in structure and governance. These changes would further centralize power in the church's bureaucracy and decrease the voice of LCMS congregations and laity. Stay informed. Read the new broadcast transcripts on this subject. You'll find them at the top of the on-demand page at issuesetc.org. 
These transcripts are a must-read for every layperson and pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Issuesetc.org. Click on demand. If you're interested in hanging around with a bunch of powerful men that further one another's careers, I guess you could meet Fred and Barney down at the Loyal Order of Water Buffalo. Stress is your problem, and those 40, 50 hours a week are killing you, and that cubicle's driving you nuts. Perhaps you should buy Joel Osteen's book and read it. If you're interested in Lutheran doctrine and practice and how we can spread that to our communities, check us out, Brothers of John the Steadfast, www.steadfastlutherans.com. Listen to what you want, when you want. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, Executive Director of Life Issues Institute. Right before President Obama left on his trip to China, an important hearing took place on Capitol Hill. Pro-life Congressman Chris Smith heard testimony from people who've been victimized by China's many human rights violations. One of them was the attorney of a Chinese opponent to their cruel forced abortion policy. The hearing got lots of media attention, so China was quick to retaliate. Shortly after Mr. Obama left China, Chinese government officials beat this attorney's wife and then hauled him off to a jail. A clear message to those who dare to speak out against the government. Mr. Obama gave $50 million to a U.N. organization that helps fund forced abortions in China. Why isn't our president standing up to this grave injustice against millions of Chinese people? Life Issues. Stay informed. More informed than you've ever been. 